We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. What causes pastors to burn out? And then, how do we not become cynical? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Tuesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Uh, Aubrey Sampson, my normal co-host, is out all week finishing up her book and doing some other stuff. Excited to hear all about that new book when it comes out. But I'm thrilled to be joined all week by my friend Steve Koble. Steve, uh, pastors at Renewal Church of Chicago, a stone's throw away from the United <laughs> Center. So uh, remind our people, what exactly do you do at, at Renewal? Where is it and where can people find more information? Yeah, I'm a teaching pastor there. Mm-hmm. I pastor alongside a uh, close friend and colleague of mine who's the lead pastor, Derek Puckett. And um, I do a lot of spiritual formation, do a lot of uh, small groups, community connection, outreach, and uh, do a lot of Bible teaching and classes and things like that. Awesome. We're, uh, like Brian said, a stone's throw away <laughs> Your marketing uh, is from good, the United Center. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if, that was one I just came up with, too. Uh, so I, it I, should I, go on all your pat stuff. Pat myself on the back. <laughs> um, but we're just south of Rush Hospital, if you're familiar with, uh, with uh, Rush Hospital. And uh, you can find us online at, at RenewalChurchChicago.com. There you go. So Steve's gracious enough to spend the week with us, and uh, we're glad that you're with us. If you missed yesterday's show, go get the podcast. Wherever it is, you get your podcasts. Just subscribe, rate, and review. All right. So Twitter. Twitter is, or as it is known now, X. It is a toxic place, but you know what else it's good for? It's good for show prep. It's good to read through and go, oh, that that gets my mind going. And there is a guy that we will often quote. His name is Dan White, uh, author of Love Over Fear and uh, uh, some other organizations and this and that. So you and I are both pastors. I think what he says, though, uh, may not just be a pastor thing, but he writes it towards pastors. So I wonder, I'm going to read it, and I just want you to go, yeah, I agree with that as a pastor or not. Let's talk Mm. about it. Let's expound on it. Dan White Jr. wrote this on Twitter. For the most part, pastors burn out not because they are overworked, but because they lose their identity amidst the work Mm. as they face a flood of praise, criticism, rejection, or loss. Let me read that one more time. For the most part, pastors burn out not because they are overworked, but because they lose their identity amidst the work as they face a flood of praise, criticism, rejection, or loss. So he he puts pastor burnout, which we know a lot of pastors burned out, burning out, quitting. Yeah. He says it has more to do with a loss of identity than being overworked. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think uh personally experiencing people, especially who have um maybe the the church had a great rise in the midst of them coming on staff or mm-hmm. in the in the midst of them becoming the lead pastor. You've planted a church and um, you've been at that church for 10 years. It, there's something about it that like you get interwoven That's to right. the church. So when somebody leaves, um, it feels personal when um, 
when somebody has some criticism to say, it, it feels personal. I think when, you know, even to the point of, of praise, like you can get so intertwined into the, um, the church itself, the, your identity into the church itself that like, man, you begin to think of the, the praise as the, as man, this is praise towards me. That's right. Um, and so, you know, I heard somebody say once that, uh, who wants to get up on stage in front of people and publicly speak 52 Sundays out of the year. <laughs> and the, the person said, Oh, uh, this is a psychologist said that somebody has to, ha- has to be, slightly geared toward the narcissistic spectrum so to speak on behalf of God 52 Sundays out of the, out of the year. Yeah. And so I, I think all of that stuff is just, it's a part of being human is a part of uh, being in human services yeah. with yeah. Uh, where you're not just, it's not just the bottom line, it's people in the bottom line and, and, and people uh, sheep that bite and, uh, you know, et cetera. So I haven't told you this yet, but our church is going through a lot right now because we're, it's a long story. I'll share it sometime on the air another time, but we're merging with another church mm. in town because our lease is ending in our warehouse. We're moving like it's a big deal. Wow. Right. And this has been a long process. It continues to be a process. But some people are so excited about it. So thrilled. There are others not happy about it at all. Yeah. We've lost people like all of this, everything all in one big stew of what us pastors struggle with. Super excitement. Way to go. <laughs> Super angry. Leaving all of this stuff. And I just have to be honest, it's been draining. I can't imagine. It's been because there are days I'm exhilarated. Like, oh, we're doing this. This is awesome. The opportunity is unbelievable. God has opened this door. And then, oh, this person is mad. They're not staying. They're not. And it's just been this roller coaster. And when I read that, that's what I think about that roller coaster of just kind of. When you ride that wave of what people think or what they're saying, uh, it's hard. It's it's really difficult. I think we're in the uh, we're in the in the middle of the bullseye of of Mm. where that happens most. Uh, So I even think other people's jobs are not uh, just there. There's not as much of a roller coaster um, in that way. So it puts us uh, right in the bullseye of of that experience. And, And it's it's like. You know, you know what you would say to your congregation, but it's almost like you got to preach the gospel to yourself even more uh, than anybody else. So this idea about identity that he goes to, this is the one that I think transcends just being a pastor. Uh, You know, I think a lot of people out there get their identity from what they do. Yeah. And so when you're if you get your identity as a stock trader, stocks are up, you feel great about yourself. Stocks Mm -hmm. are down, you feel terrible about yourself. Teacher, kids are learning. You feel great about yourself. So it's all this kind of what I do. Speak to the danger of that. The I hang my hat on what what I do and maybe what other people say about me. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy that we we find ourselves so often uh, fighting that or yeah. feeling impacted by that. Um, but at the same time, like uh, the Apostle Paul talks about all the accolades that he had as a, uh, in Philippians chapter three. And he was the a Jew of Jews and a Pharisee of Pharisees. And, uh, he was trained by Gamaliel who mm-hmm. was the most prominent rabbi in, in their time period. Crazy. Yes. Um, and all of the accoutrements of prestige and status that came with that. And he said, I count them all as loss mm-hmm. that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Um, and that language of union with Christ is, I think, the 
the penultimate of, mm-hmm. of where we find true lasting identity. It's just hard because we forget that sometimes. Oh, yes. And uh, and so what what's true in the gospel is that in Christ, by placing my faith in Jesus, I've been actually united to Jesus. Mm. So now God the Father looks at me, and, and if I had a bad day as, as a Christian, um, I get to remind myself that I'm standing in Christ's righteousness and mm-hmm. not my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, in my opinion, that's enough because the shame and, and the guilt that comes with life and processing different decisions that you made is a lot. Um, but then not only that, but we, we become adopted sons and daughters of God mm. on the basis of nothing that we've ever done. Um, and that's, that's like how the love of God just overflows and, and, and is hard to even comprehend yeah. that we would receive something like that. And so our, our, our most true identity uh, if we're followers of Jesus is sons and daughters of God. That's right. Um, it's just a matter of holding on to that and allowing ourselves to, to be saturated by that truth. Mm. Um, and when we find ourselves being shook up by what other people say to go back to that truth mm-hmm. and to rehearse it to our soul. Yeah. It's so the identity who we are called by God in, in Christ is it's so foundational. And I don't think I ever recognized that until well, you really kind of feel it when you're riding the roller coaster. Right. But I, I do think burnout, as he talks about for pastors, but in general, like this is the key to fighting that. So good word there from Dan White Jr. on X uh, on Twitter. Grateful for him. Uh, kind of along the same lines. Coming up next, I want to talk about something I've been thinking about a lot lately. would love to get your thoughts on. That is the idea of cynicism. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Steve Koble, sitting in for Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us here on a Tuesday afternoon, a little bit of snow. Hopefully you've been navigating that well today. All right. So I've been thinking about something, Steve, recently. Would love to get your thoughts on because... Uh, well, let's just talk about it this way. I've been talking, I've been thinking a lot about the idea of cynicism, mm. getting cynical. So, um, I've been a, I've been a Christian for a long time, uh, been a pastor, you know, youth pastor, assistant pastor, lead pastor for all of now. This amazes me, but I'm going on like 25 years, yeah. which I don't even feel like I'm 25 years old yet, yeah, but yeah, yeah. going on 25 years now, I've been a radio host in the Christian sphere in the evangelical sphere for five years. And so a lot of times being a quote unquote professional Christian, mm-hmm. like you and I both are, you can kind of see some of the, the darker sides of things and some of the way the hypocrisy of things. And the radio show has added new levels to that as you're talking about this scandal or this or that. And I have found myself needing to protect myself from becoming cynical mm. of like... Is there anyone who's not a hypocrite out there? Is there, you know, is the church doing anything out there right now? Is And I know in my head it is, but, like, yeah. I find myself yeah. going, I, I I went for a walk while we were on vacation, and, and I literally found myself praying, and I, found, I was praying the weirdest thing. I was praying, God, I kind of, like, need to, to experience you again apart from all of this stuff, like, apart yeah. from all of yeah. this cynicism, I feel like for the Christian and not just the pastor or the radio host or whatever, just a Christian, especially the longtime Christian, 
I feel like this is a bigger danger than like just all out apostasy. Like mm. I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore, but I feel like we can get hardened. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Like just this like, gosh, it used to be so exciting and I used to have all, and but now I'm just kind of jaded a little bit. Do you ever struggle with that? What's the, <laughs> what is the danger of that? And, and then I'd love to, for us to get to the point of asking, how do we protect ourselves from that? Honestly, Brian, I'm I'm looking at you probably saying I'm the 37 year old guy and, and uh, looking to you for the, the wisdom for the wisdom on that because <laughs> I I find myself uh, regularly feeling that way and having to remind myself of other things and um, and I think one of the big things and I get you know you can get discouraged especially when you see celebrity pastors who mm-hmm. um, get themselves in in challenging situations and and uh, all out moral failure and. And I think one of the things that is helpful has been helpful to me is that like I kind of just really believe that um being a celebrity pastor itself is it it brings that along with it. Yeah. And so I think that God is doing a lot of stuff in and through people nobody knows. That is true. And so I try to embrace that and and even when I think about like my ministry for the future at 37 now um, looking to be the guy that is doing a lot that nobody actually knows Mm. and um, being okay with that. And, and kind of that being maybe the place of the healthiest version of myself, uh, healthiest minister uh, gets to gets to uh, that other people get to experience and my wife and kids get to experience. Um, so, but but to be honest with you, I I have the same kind of challenge in thinking through all the different things that happen, and and then even being slighted by Christians that that you know personally, um, it can create uh, a high level of of cynicism. And I've had you know I look I look over the course of my life and still see friendships and relationships that I still value with people that I I think are uh, God's gift to me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I appreciate, I hold on to my wife and kids as like one of the pictures of God's grace mm. uh, in my life. Um, but I, I feel like I'm in, I can find myself in the same place that, that you talked about. Yeah. Yeah. It is uh, there. I, you make a great point there because just the other day, <clears throat> I think one of the reasons I got thinking about this was like yet another story I heard in our, not in my town, but in my kind of you know, the area where I live of a pastor I knew, and I almost just said respected respect who is now sidelined because he did something. And you're just like, Oh, cause it's one thing, like you said, to read about it in somewhere about the guy who written all the books, but to be someone, you know, yeah, like somebody in your kind of like your, your sphere for you might be someone in your network. And you're like, gosh, if, if that, which, and you start feeling yourself getting hardened. Like, really? Like, is this, you know, like, am I, am I the only one trying to do this? <laughs> and I know it's not <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. but you, you start to feel like, is it inevitable right, that, right. that every pastor, every Christian crashes and burns at some point? And that's where cynicism comes in. You know, I was just thinking of, of this recently because um, I was reading a book. It's called When Narcissism Comes to Church. It's a good book. And, I haven't read it, but I've heard it's yeah, good. So yeah. it's a good book. One of the things about this book is it helps you realize that like, man, in the past 20 years, the, 
the people that we lifted up to uh, church leadership probably had some kind of uh, natural inclination towards uh, kind of being people who are above the rules, yeah. uh, people who have. And, and the reality is, is that I'm I'm able to look at myself knowing what I believe about sin and know that people can be so, so sinful that they do stuff that they don't even know they're doing. Yeah. And, and it isn't until a community of people come around and say, Hey, this was wrong that they can even deal with. That's that. right. That's right. That's just the reality of, I think more so I've been looking at it. Like we, we really live in a broken world so much so that some of the people that we exalt are, uh, because they're of their assuredness and what they're doing and, and their ability to, galvanize people um, are the people that we say, Hey, here's a microphone, here's yeah. a stage. And, um, and that's, that's unfortunate. I, and I think that that's a phenomenon of like the last 20 years. Yeah. That's what I've been trying to process and think through and maybe hope for uh, more so than the reality of, of our sit- situation. Yeah. I think that's a good word because uh, it, it, it just is so easy to get into that point. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're like, yeah. And then my cynicism leads to hardness, leads to mm-hmm. whatever else. And I think the answers, they're so basic. The answers are so basic. Like when I'm finding myself cynical, I actually have to look in the mirror and go, they often will be at times when I'm not in the word and I'm not spending uh, much time in prayer or in community where I'm actually having real relationships with people. Sometimes I... Uh, on our long driving trip recent that, that I was telling you about from New Year's, uh, I listened to a lot of podcasts. But then at one point, I just listened to music. I listened to Rich Mullins, who I used to listen to in college and really enjoyed, just to kind of go back and like, uh-huh. okay, I just need to listen to some encouragement. It was the answers are not brain surgery. Yeah, it's not like oh, I need to go. On, I need to become a monk for six months. It's do this, but so often, like, how often am I worshiping or or being fed? where I'm not in charge and I'm not the one preaching yeah, and yeah, I'm not, yeah. it, That's good. but it's hard. It's really hard. So cynicism, uh, if you're in that spot, whether you're a pastor or not, I'd encourage you uh, to, to take a look at, at what's the answer. Well, coming up next, Colin Hansen over at the gospel coalition says this over the last four years, my life has changed as I've begun to understand and apply this. We're going to talk about what the, this is next year on the common good aim 1160 hope for your life. Happy Tuesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on a Tuesday afternoon. As I've always said, if you miss any of the show, go back and get the podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review. That does help us out a bunch. All right. You might not know this. Did you know we have a presidential election coming up in very <laughs> short amount of time? The, the Iowa caucuses are upon us. Yeah, yeah. All of this stuff. Scale of one to ten, how excited are you about a presidential election? One to ten. Yeah. Uh, I think one. <laughs> Even if that, right? It is bad that we're a year away and it's like or a little less than a year and it's already like, I'm so tired of this. <laughs> Really, we're going to do this again? Uh, what did our founding fight? Maybe we should do these elections once every eight years, maybe, just yeah, to yeah. let us all go. Uh, but something we're going to have to do on this show a lot is um, 
kind of unpack less about who you're going to vote for, what are you going to do, but more about how do we as Christians interact? Mm. How do we um, how do we process and and proceed with this election that's coming up with, uh, with all elections, but especially a presidential one where people feel so strongly yeah. uh, about, you know, basically we're voting between two old men coming up, but uh, it, it is what's coming. And so with that, because, again, Steve, we, we both have our preferred candidates, our preferred our candidates that we don't like, all of this stuff. But it's less about that and more about how do you process this stuff with that in mind. There was a video that came out that was uh, shared by former president, soon to be possibly on the ballot, President Donald Trump. And uh, he posted a satirical version of Paul Harvey's famous So God Made a Farmer, in which now it is So God Made Trump. Uh, And so where I'm reading from here, well, let me just read some of it. Actually, let's play it. That's what we're going to do. Let's go ahead and listen to it. And on June 14th, 1946, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God gave us Trump. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, fix this country, work all day, fight the Marxists, eat supper, then go to the Oval Office and stay past midnight at a meeting of the heads of state. So God made Trump. I need somebody with arms, strong enough to rustle the deep state, and yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Somebody to ruffle the feathers, tame cantankerous World Economic Forum, come home hungry, have to wait until the first lady is done with lunch with friends, then tell the ladies to be sure and come back real soon, and mean it. So God gave us Trump. I need somebody who can shape an axe, but wield a sword, who had the courage to step foot in North Korea, who can make money from the tar of the sand, turn liquid to gold, who understands the difference between tariffs and inflation, will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon, but then put in another 72 hours. So God made Trump. God had to have somebody willing to go into the den of vipers, call out the fake news for their tongues as sharp as a serpent's. The poison of vipers is on their lips, and yet stop. So God made Trump. So it's a lot. There's a lot there. But basically, you probably heard the ending there. God said, I need somebody who will be strong and courageous, who will not be afraid or terrified of the wolves when they attack a man who cares for the flock, uh, who's going to do blah, 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 fight the system all day, work by attending church on Sunday, all of this stuff. So let's just discuss the dangers of a video in which the message is on some level satirical or not, because Trump went on to say this is joking and not joking, right? Like there's truth in it, like belief in this. People who do see a candidate, in this case, President Trump, but we've seen it with other candidates through the years, and link it to some sort of God-sent deliverer who who rise our our politics to the level of God has finally sent our, I I use this small s, savior, Mm. our fighter. This is God's person to come clean it up. Uh, 
gosh, those it feels like we hear those things more and more on both sides, probably more so on the Trump side, but on both sides. And it's so stinking dangerous. Just what goes on in your soul when you hear people kind of have this messianic tone to things? Um, you know, kind of it, it, it kind of sounds a bit blasphemous in in a way in in some sense like you sort of like that's just not okay right um but then at the same time i think it reminds me too that like there like we all worship um we all um whether you're an atheist or you're uh there are things that you build your life upon there are things that you trust in to bring lasting satisfaction comfort joy mm-hmm. and peace mm-hmm that's a part of what it means to worship. And I think that oftentimes what we've seen in recent years is that the party um, represents a, a religion in some ways. And I think that even Donald Trump kind of joking, but not joking, that kind of highlights itself to me that that politics has become an actual religion. And my my fear is that as Christians, whether if if we have these uh, feelings about like a Donald Trump is like really somebody that in, intertwined in into faith that really we're becoming syncretistic mm. and we're we're mashing up together uh, faith and um, and a, a worship of politics, which is incredibly dangerous. I mean, the Apostle Paul uh, spent a lot of time uh, arguing against syncretism. And how would you I, define syncretism for it, people out there? Yeah, it's sort of like you take uh, two uh, forms of religion and put them together. Mm. And so, like, it, this is commonplace in um, in our society in terms of somebody who's not a Christian will, uh, you know, they enjoy that part of Jesus and and but not the other part. And mm-hmm. then they take this part of Eastern mysticism and and this part of uh of something else and they they put it all together and that becomes their their kind of faith yeah and yeah. uh so my fear is that politics and religion or politics and christianity would become uh this sort of mashup thing that you can't distinguish one from the other it is so dangerous and we're going to hear this so much in the next nine months, like the church has to get this right, because mm. I do believe one of the biggest things that's causing us to lose credibility in the greater culture is this perception, because I don't think most people feel this way in the church, but the perception that we do view politicians as like uh, this inflated view of them, or they are the savior, or mm. they are going to usher yeah, in the yeah. age of the church. And and we are, we've got a savior already. We have yeah. a king. Well, you should vote. You should feel passionate. But don't put your hope in a politician. Put your hope in a savior. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I, I ah, this is going to be a hard year. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a hard year. Well, coming up next, David Drucker from the Dispatch is going to join us. We're excited to talk to David about some leadership lessons specifically that we can learn from an interview he recently did with Kevin McCarthy. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Steve Koble. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for spending your Tuesday afternoon with us. We hope that you're doing uh, well. All right, Steve, we love to talk about the church and the different generations within the church. 
So you're 30. What'd you say? You're 37? Yeah. What does that I make I will be you? 37. What does that make you? So you're 36. I'm a millennial. I'm, a I'm 46. So you and I are a decade apart. I am a Gen Xer. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so you and I are in different spots. So there, what this guy is about to say is that you and I have different perspectives about something very specific he's about to talk about. This guy's name is Joash Thomas, National Director of Mobilization and Advocacy for the International Justice Mission in Canada. Uh, He tends to be, just so people can can kind of peg him a little bit, uh, if you read his stuff on Twitter, he tends to be a little more progressive than I would say some people out there are going to be comfortable with, but uh, factor that in as you want. All right, here's what he wants. Here's what he wrote. Millennial and Gen Z Christians, so this is you, increasingly have, quote, zero appetite for the culture wars of Gen X and boomers. We, this is you again, we want faithfulness with an emphasis on justice and inclusion for our marginalized neighbors that is rooted in the ancient creeds and traditions that predate the theological and ecclesial innovations of American evangelicalism. We want the real thing, not the fluff. And this is what gives me hope for the future of the North American church. And then he throws in this plus immigration, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm interested to get your – you and I are probably a lot closer aligned in – like we're only 10 years apart. But with that said, think about if you're at the top end, the people a little younger than you in your church – millennials, Gen Zs, do you think he's right that they have less of an appetite for the quote-unquote culture wars, the Mm. uh, culture wars, whereas maybe my generation, Gen X, and certainly the generation above me, the boomers and whatever else, uh, they've kind of been, for better or for worse, defined by the culture wars a little bit. Do you think this is a fair differentiation to make? It sounds, I like how it sounds. <laughs> I resonated with what he said about mm-hmm. millennials. Um, I, I, I think that in some ways, like, it, it it's true. But then younger generation, what I found is that, uh, man, biblical literacy is, is really low, too. Mm. So, um, so then there's a lot of of influence that the culture has on them because they don't necessarily have a a broad understanding of the scripture. Um, and so that creates its own problems too. Um, I do think that there's sort of like a, and even if I could speak for myself, like there's this sense in which, um, you know, I look back and say, how do we get back to, uh, you know, the reformers not being reformed, but the reformers and how they, uh, approach the scripture yeah, and how yeah. they approach because there's a there's a history that doesn't like I do want to get away from American triumphalism mm. and there have been some generations of theological uh, dialogue that um, that sort of like skip past the Reformation as though it didn't happen and mm. um, and I think that we need to see more of a continuancy from the history and the tradition that's outside of of America I think that's that's mm. actually helpful. Um, and so maybe it's just me reading myself into what he's saying and saying like, yeah, I, I mean, I feel that way. Um, and, and even when we talk about things centered around politics, I just hear the, the problem with, uh, with power and the problem with, uh, with, with us needing to, uh, influence society outside of the realm of living lives that are compelling, 
Um, and I don't know, that just seems really, really problematic to me. And I realize, like when we read the Bible, you read the new Testament, there are certain things about how Jesus lived his life that get emphasized in certain generations. Um, and, and I, I just really feel like that's, that's important. And maybe millennials pick up Matthew 25 and they just, all right, this Jesus said, uh, whenever, whenever you saw me mm. without a place to lay my head, that's what you did for me myself. Or, or when I didn't have a, uh, uh, you know, the things that you gave me, you whatever you did for the list, least of these, this is what you've done for me. And so they look at, uh, not just for the future of their families, but just, all right, this is just what Christianity is and yeah. does. Yeah. He's also making a difference here in what both kind of sets of generations are looking for in church, which I think is really an interesting thing to consider. Gen X, the boomers, what, what this quote unquote successful churches, to be honest with you, in my upbringing and as I got into the pastorate, were the really flashy ones. We're all trying to be Willow Creek. We're oh, all yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. be whatever else. And think all of these mega churches that pop, and there's nothing wrong with mega churches when done well, but this is what was to be uh, reached. Like this is what we were reaching for. Right. Whereas it seems to be what he's saying. Millennials, Gen Z, they're actually looking for something different, less produced, mm-hmm. more amusing air quotes, authentic. Yeah. Like it, it gets to what even is each generation looking for in church. Does that even come to your mind as you guys kind of, are you just doing what you can to just keep going? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, man, because I come, uh, I passed at a church for six years that was planted uh, like 35 years ago. And uh, there was a, a, you know, I think Willow Creek and, and other churches had a big influence on mm-hmm. on that particular mm-hmm. church. In 2008, they were able to purchase their uh, first building and and uh, renovated it in such a way that it, it resembled sort of uh, that kind of onstage lights and camera action. You got the, it was very finely produced and I remember some of my millennial uh, friends who some of them were elders, uh, maybe 40 years old, that would say, man, I just think we're just too polished. Like, mm. this doesn't make that much um, that much sense to me. And the other thing I wanted to highlight, Brian, is that I think that there's a difference, too. Like, it would be hard to be how he's talked about a, a Gen X uh, Christian in the city, I think. Because I actually know a lot of uh, Gen X Christians who would associate very much with the way that millennial, like he's described millennials here in the city. I don't know if that's the same um, in in the suburb. So I just, I want to. That's interesting. Not say that those things are monolithic. Um, um, but I, I do think that there is, uh, people want to focus on community. Um, they mm. want to focus on relationships. And I think. Post-pandemic, that's uh, a big value uh, for people, more so than than the things that are are produced, even more so than sermons. Sometimes this that's an interesting one for us to tackle another day. The difference, even between not just generations, but you being in the city, me being in the suburbs, mm. uh, is is a very interesting kind of. Th- there's a dichotomy there. What people are looking for in the city, what you guys experience in the city with people coming and going versus in the suburbs of people kind of hopefully laying down some roots over time. So definitely interesting and and something to chew on. What is it that each generation is looking for? What does that mean for the church? 
going forward. Coming up next, Steve, I want to end our show by playing some uh, some audio from years ago, obviously, from Mickey Mantle. Wow. We're going to end with some baseball. We're going to talk about Mickey Mantle talking about regret. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside uh, Steve Koble. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us as we close out a Tuesday afternoon. Steve, uh, Aubrey, when she's here, she doesn't really I can't get, I can't draw her into our sports conversations, <laughs> right? And so when you're with me, I like to just drop them in, drop them in. That. So uh, whether it was yesterday when we talked about the pain of your Indianapolis Colts or whatever else it might be. But here I want to play some audio from Mickey Mantle from years ago. Mickey Mantle's been dead now for 25 years, probably. Uh, but Mickey Mantle, the famous center fielder of the New York Yankees back in the 50s and the 60s, there aren't many bigger baseball players than right. Mickey Mantle. And you're a former college baseball player, so uh, you probably watch things, Mickey Mantle or Barry Bonds or other guys, and you go, wow, that's amazing what they do. Um, but Mickey Mantle was also known to be, uh, this is from his own words, a heavy drinker, a womanizer, all of this stuff while he was playing and so this, what I want to play to you for you is an interview he did with Bob Costas near the end of his life that you can just hear the regret coming through it as Bob Costas tries to ask him about being a hero or a role model. So let's listen to what Mickey Mantle said here. Uh, it's a little almost haunting to hear him say at the beginning, uh, I don't know if people picked it up. He said, I don't want kids to be like I was. Yeah. Like most people are like, I want to be like Mickey Mantle. Yeah, right? He's yeah. like, I don't want kids to be, and Bob Costas actually is trying to pull him. Like, hey, you might not have been a good role model, but you're a hero because you could hit the ball in this net. And he's like, you know what? I don't see it that way. And if you can't see the video here, his face is just like sad. Yeah. And then at the end, when he's like, you just, I appreciate it more now because when you're in it, you think it's going to go forever. And you're like, man, this is somebody who was the center fielder of the New York Yankees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And to hear that regret, I want to get into regret in a minute, but just to hear that from someone like Mickey Mantle is pretty striking, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that I realized. I, I think I realized that he had some off-the-field issues, um, but then at the same time, I, I, I don't think those off-the-field issues jaded the public's perspective of uh, him as a person and a player. Right. So I, I think maybe you feel that, yourself individually more than other people feel it um and so you maybe he feels like a hypocrite in some way mm -hmm. if if people want him to be a hero and he's probably like man i just did what i did mm. uh, you know i i hit a baseball you know charles barkley famous famously That's said right. i'm not i'm not, I'm not, not a role, role model, model. <laughs> um and I, i'm curious about how that fame and being in the public eye so much and so many people knowing who you are and having a feeling about you um, who don't actually know you. Yeah. Um, what that is even like, I, I, I got to imagine it's incredibly challenging. It's got to be. And now, he, you know, like I said, this was relatively close to the end of his life. And the looking back with regret, uh, literally his years of drinking killed him in mm. the end. Like he I think he had come to faith and he, had, he was starting to be really re reflective and. Uh, this and that, but I, I want to broaden it away from Mickey Mantle 
and use his words to talk about regret. As we close the show, undoubtedly there are people listening who have regrets, regrets of what they did yesterday or regrets of what they did 20 years ago, and they just can't get past the choices they've made, yeah. um, the the decisions they made, and we'll be the first to say our choices have consequences. But when we speak biblically about regret and shame and just that weight, what's the what's the word we have for people? What's the good news that says, you know, like Bob Costas was just trying to talk Mickey Mantle off the ledge about the regret, but I think there's yeah. a deeper word that we have as as people who follow Jesus. Yeah. You know, uh, that makes me think of uh, Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2, that says, Lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles and run mm -hmm. with endurance the race that is set before us. And one of the things over the course of my life that I've had to realize is that there are some weights that I was never intended to carry. Mm. And when it comes to my faith journey, when it comes to me being right with God, when it comes to how God sees me and how God sees my life, um, if I'm holding on to things that Jesus has already forgiven me from, then there, and this might shock you or shock. I think it shocks the system of mm -hmm. uh, our spiritual journey is that you want to earn your own righteousness. Yeah. And the moment that you're able to recognize that, like it wasn't me doing all the things perfectly and it wasn't me making all the perfect decisions that uh, makes me a candidate for the kingdom and it's me mourning over the things that I've failed and receiving God's grace and moving on. Um, that's, that's a big part, part right? of the journey the is moving is on. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of us are holding on to things that God has already moved on from. Mm. And so you have to be willing to receive his grace and to not receive his grace is like you saying that thank you for Jesus to begin with, but I'll earn it from, from here on mm. myself. And that's offensive to God um, because that's not the reality of our situation. We are in desperate need, not of uh, a nudge. We're in desperate need of a substitute. Mm. And that substitute has been given to us in uh, in Jesus Christ. And so I think of Psalm 90, verse 11, uh, literally Moses is watching as the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. Um, it says, uh, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Mm. And I think the reality to what he said in, in finishing, you you know, you look up one day and then it's over with and you have these these regrets. I think the important part is do what's right when you know it's right to do it and uh, live in a way that has some integrity in that sense that that while you know uh, to do right or to live a certain way, like make, you don't have all the time in the world. You have a limited amount of time. So while you have that limited amount of time, make it count. That's a good word, man. I, I You know, first John uh, one nine famously says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I think a lot of us think if we confess, it's going to cause greater shame and greater shame. And mm -hmm. you use the phrase like there are still consequences to our actions. Right. But you did use, I think, the really important phrase and then move on. And then move on. Like, and that's the difficult things for us. It, I mean, quite frankly, watching that Mickey Mantle thing, it appears like he could never move on. Right. And he held such regret right to the day he died. And I, I don't want that for all of us out there. Uh, there is good news in the gospel that um, that there is cleansing and purification. And 
uh, bring those things to God and, and receive that today. Uh, wanted to close the show that way, hopefully with some good news for you. Well, Steve and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 until 6 p.m. Until then, we hope you have a great day. For Steve Koble, I am Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.